0: podcast. I've realized after 119 episodes, we don't introduce ourselves every week. So we're just floating heads with disembodied voices. We're not even floating heads because
1: hi they're... disembodied voice. Hello oh, disembodied voice. Yeah. We... So this week I'm going to actually introduce myself. I'm Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve or disembodied voice. I actually prefer disembodied voice. Come to think of it. It's a little, it's a little, a little more personal. Figure that out. <laughs> That's more personal? <laughs> yeah.
0: And on that note, we are getting into this week's album. So we're going to get right to it. Um, This week's album is a fan request. Um, It is Owen Pellett and his record In Conflict. Um, It was recommended by Heather S., who we know through Twitter. Um, She recommended it through Twitter. Her handle is at Wildflower Fever. So thank you for recommending the album. We're going to hopefully do it justice
1: this week. All right. Well... Owen Paulette. First of all, I want to say thank you to 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 Heather for giving us a brand new album because it's it's kind of nice to have a fan sort of get on board with the fact that we we review albums and their place in our time, which isn't to impugn uh, retro reviews, but of course, you know it's kind of hard to take yourself out of the time and then relate it to how it relates back then, and it's just a lot more honest if we if we treat it from today's standpoint. And this. Indeed is a new and wildly fresh album. And it's sort of heaven sent uh, in many ways, considering how it relates to several of the discussions we've had on previous episodes and previous artists we've reviewed. Because in the course of researching this artist, Owen Paulette, several names unsurprisingly start cropping up around the interwebs, from favorite artists to influences and collaborations. And they start to kind of paint the picture of where an artist lies in the thicket of it all. And also, it's important just from the standpoint of finding new music to jumpstart an artist who, for me, is brand new. So first off, there's some crossover here between this and My Brightest Diamond, which is important to mention uh, because her album, This Is My Hand, which we reviewed on episode 111, uh, was the impetus for our fan, Heather, to hop on board the Crash Chords train and submit Owen Paulette's album for review. Now, that crossover is important, just so much as they are similar style, actually, style's the wrong word, they are similar In the music realm, just because they have have the same role. They are solo, composers, vocalists, and also multi-instrumentalists. In other ways, they're wildly different. But that in itself is pretty awesome, and it shows that they are on one level very brilliant, and on another level highly ambitious. Um, But also, like My Brightest Diamond, this is not an entirely solo project. Owen Paulette does collaborate and works with many session musicians to get the most well-rounded sound. Now, as for him himself, he primarily works with keyboards, violin, and of course, vocals. And as a composer, he's recently known for working with Will Butler on the original score for the movie *Her*. Oh. Which, as many of us would know, I, I haven't actually seen the movie myself, but I know and I know of obviously, it. Yeah. No, it's essentially an AI, like in the vein of Siri, and he falls in love with it. Exactly. So, Owen Palette seems to be pulling from a lot of this deeply internalized work that you find in, in, in many other artists, often a- attached in some stretch to his name. Uh, there are several things that I've noticed or he cited as influence. Chief among them, Shushu, uh, apparently is, is a, a major influence for him and his earlier work. Uh, I believe according to him, it guided many of his earlier albums and much of his writing for a while, and he was trying not to sound like Shushu, which is interesting, because actually, based on this album, later in the game, but it, I don't personally hear any similarities to Shushu. Shushu is one of those artists which is, is so internalized, it's almost scary. Like, terrifying. Uh, another comparison... I believe uh, an influence is Red House Painters. Red House Painters would be the band that Mark Kozelek fronted, uh, and we reviewed Mark Kozelek back in episode 71, his cover album, which was called Like Rats. So, yeah, there's Red House Painters. There's also his other band that he fronted, that Mark Kozelek fronted, which was um, Sun Kill Moon. So, all of this seems to be kind of surrounding his influences, but not directly in terms of sound. His sound itself, well... I'm gonna hold off on that. I'm not gonna stoke the fires of this review with genre-placement theories like we have been doing the last couple weeks. I'd rather dog right in, because attempting to describe the sound before we actually get to the sound will probably lead us in circles. So let's jump into track one, I Am Not Afraid. So I Am Not Afraid starts
0: very simply with strings. We get a beautiful sound of strings with his vocals to follow shortly after, um, and we automatically and instantly get a sense of his, at least the start of his sound and that
1: composition that's coming in right there. Well, they absolutely sucker punched me with the intro. I mean, just that that, that spine-tingling orchestral tremolo sort of shows you where where he's coming from, because this is something that even as far as composers are concerned, you don't always go back to the traditional orchestra. It's not always common in modern albums, although it's making uh, quite a few surges, uh, I think, in the recent Five years or so. Uh, in many ways, this reminded me of the Divine Comedy. Another case where it uses orchestral, uh, orchestral motifs fluidly throughout his work. And in a live setting, he likes to use
2: a remixing pedal that uh, oh, lot a lot of different machine. a loop machine, where you just you play a little bit of a chord work, you click it, and you, then you go into the next one, and then you click it, and then you go into the next one. This way, we get a triple effect of the same violin, which does make it sound orchestral. You got uh, the one sweep, the other is a pluck, and that third is that high rise, the rising, the the reaching sound. Mm-hmm. It's it, it became iconic for the album and it was great to get it introduced to this
1: triple almost ensemble setup uh, right from the get go. Well, another thing just about the tremolos themselves, only because it, this kind of, like, rapid-fire tremolos fills out a very broad, uplifting uh, G major chord just right from the get-go. And tremolos themselves, even apart from just orchestral stuff, is used very commonly in film overtures, entouracts, and heroic scenes, love scenes, beautiful, you know, sweeping scenery, that kind of stuff. It basically embodies everything grand and awe-inspiring in the industry. So, it, it, this is very cinematic in its construction.
0: Yeah, well, I think the the orchestral composition really hammers that home, that that kind of cinematic feel. And on top of it, I mean, we haven't really mentioned yet, but early in the song, we do get a sense of his vocals kind of right out of the gate. And what I love about his vocals is he's always, almost constantly throughout the entire record, has this vocal quiver that is always inherent in his voice. And also, we also get his, um, uh, I'm blanking on uh, when they go high. Falsetto. Thank you falsetto which is gorgeous and this we've had quite a plethora of gorgeous falsettos within recent weeks actually this is true and so it's nice to have another one um he's very dynamic with his vocal work he doesn't just kind of stick to one one kind of pitch which is kind of nice it's you know he
2: doesn't plateau yeah but at the same time while i do enjoy both his vocal work and the lyrical content he's singing about because he's he's really telling a story here um I was happy when this song did uh, made that huge shift to the B section. Because while on this A, it wears a little bit. Even when he starts throwing in that, that light little dashes of synth work, just to break it up a little bit, the constant sweeping and the constant strumming of two of them It it wears on me. It does get to me. I got to disagree there. First
1: of all, it's far too early in the album for anything to really wear on me in any sense, considering this particular section is wildly dynamic just throughout the A section, not even counting the B section. We'll get to the B section in a second, but you can only talk about that in context with the A section because it itself is wildly different texture. Just the A, uh, talking about some other features of this string because it's not it's not just strings that accompany, you know, his vocals in this in this grand sweeping sense. It's about the the way in which he composes this that makes him such a unique artist. Again, strings themselves does not equate to new in the modern world. Um it's more about the little things. For instance, uh just out of the intro, you get these little moments where the strings tend to dip several times from this big sort of happy chord down just slightly to either a minor or even like a diminished chord and even though these are very brief moments they're important because of how they sort of clench up the intro and they're further even more strange because they don't just turn right over into that that flat 3 or flat 5 we actually kind of slide downward it's these these glissandos down from the major down down toward the the minor even the diminished using the tremolo so it's that combination of tremolo and glissando, which is a really unique effect that I often don't find anywhere. Uh, but glissando in particular, that becomes kind of a running theme throughout this entire album. There's slides throughout. He loves to make use of of sliding quite eerily from one chord down to the other. Uh, now then it does get a little bit more regular, and I'm going to agree with John on that point. It tends to get, you know, it goes from, say, doing that, that little dip every three measures to going into a much more regular, like, like four-beat, Thing or these, the sort of predictable uh, patterns of just you know two measures, two measures. So it's sort of, I, I guess it's more regular. But at that point, especially as far as an intro is concerned, I feel like you need that that you need that attachment as a listener to jump on board and not not go in thinking this is going to be some avant-garde work.
0: Yeah, I think it's very relatable too, and it gives you a focal point from this this. Vast intro to this kind of regular tail end of the A section is what I think gives the impact of the B section Because then you get hit with this B section on a very sharp turn It doesn't kind of evolve into it. It
1: pretty much goes right into it. There's Almost no transition. Well, basically what we get is a whole different textural backdrop first uh, just in, as far as the uh, the transition is concerned the horns step in they sort of crescendo and bring everything to a silence and now after this it's an electronic music piece, yeah. which seems incredibly sudden. But what you get is these sort of pops and drum box uh, taps that seem to come across as very very industrial, but also very modern. And then they're they're slowed to fall more on the first beat of the measure. So for the most part, I fell to this, this B section in half time. But it's not as if the melody was slowed down. When the melody returns, it's the same exact melody as occurred earlier on in the A section. It's just it has such different... Framework here in addition to the horns what really fills this out is the piano and that's what keeps the electronic Idea that he's kind of building
2: in here the synthesizer from becoming cold it it, it warms it it complements the synth while keeping the melody within that original
1: sweeping very very wholesome violin work that he presented in the a section Mm-hmm. And it seems to focus also more around, like, the relative minor in this section, whereas the melody is still pretty much right where it was. Uh, Because, again, when you move relatively, then all the notes are still fair game. But what's weird is that when you shape it with the relative minor more as your bass, because that's the funny thing. In the A section, all you get is just this continuous G major tremolo that doesn't stop throughout all the A section is just filled out through through G major, then all of a sudden you're down in E minor. Although, again, when you're talking about the melody itself, it very well could be either. It's just that you have that pervading uh, G major feel because of the tremolo, that even though the, uh, the cellos step in and sort of start to fill out these, this four chord progression that you know, explores a little bit further, you're not really stepping away from G major in your head. But then here in the B section, because the piano is really centered around it and it's, uh, and it's comping, then it shapes more of an E minor feel at the same time. And you kind of whisk back and forth between this. But it makes it feel quite depressing. I even got the, the sensation that I was in some very sorrowful anime. Or even uh, the theme music from Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, if anyone is familiar. Nope. Oh, nope. It has David Bowie acting. Nope that yeah, just no. Well, the theme music is beautiful. So, okay. and it kind of reminded me here.
0: I mean, I I get that sense and I mean, lyrically it kind of speaks to that
2: kind of depression also. I mean, talking about not never being able to have children, giving up smoking, which is something I don't think I could ever do. Uh, the non-believers being unable to delight in the pain of enemies and not feeling sad over losing friends. These are kind of twisting and turning a couple of core concepts, as you get in the happy-go-lucky kind of albums, or even the sad, depressing albums, it's it's changing
1: a little bit different. It seems extremely personal, well lyrically, but would... it's also self-assertive. I mean, that's the funny thing here. It's self but it also, it, it, amidst being self-assertive, it it sort of gives these uh, allusions to to hypocrisy a little bit in many ways. That that I'll never have any children. I'd bear them, and I'd eat them, my children. Later on in the second verse, I'd never have any children, I'd bear them and confuse them, my children. And then you were just mentioning the the deal about smoking, I haven't had a smoke in years, but I will catch a drag if you are smoking. It's this kind of, you know, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, these are my faults. Lyrically, it's already going towards the
0: title of the album's theme, this conflict, this in, being in conflict, either with himself or with
1: someone else, but there's a, a, a measure of conflict here. Yeah, and the other thing is that how that relates to the melody itself, because the melodies tend to also seem a little bit in conflict. I mean, granted, on one side they can be very, very long and soaring, but that's just the thing. They're long. They're long melodies. These aren't concise things. What I notice is, as of the very first verse, is how apparent these long melodies are. It's, it's probably the most dynamic feature. Even amidst all the strings, the melodies themselves just tend to drone on and on. He has a pretty light and, and a pretty high tenor, so some of his quivering as he goes through the course of this of his lyrics tends to come across as very unsure. And then, of course, the falsetto. When he comes across with the falsetto, he sometimes... It, it sounds a little bit forced, but not in in the sense that it comes across. Uh, that that musically it's it's you know forced and weaker. Instead, it's it's forced within the artistic context. It sounds like he needs to go up that high, like he's trying to prove something at at, at some moment within these phrases, and the, it comes back again later in 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 the choruses, which are are a little bit more subtle because they're you know colored with the piano and all the other stuff. But in general, it's the same concept throughout each phrase, each each melody, it's very drawn out. I think this is a good place to jump off
0: into, since we were discussing that conflict, um, to the title track, which is track two in Conflict. Um, and what I really like about the intro to this song is the synth intro that it starts with is kind of very indicative of a synth sound that we're going to get throughout the rest of the record. It's not completely... It's not completely... Identical throughout the entire album, but it's definitely a
2: preview of the sound we'll be getting. It's almost uh, a 1980s use of a synthesizer or um, a keyboard as a piano. It's very reminiscent of that era of tonal work. It it comes in just like a piano, though you don't have that hard click kind of a feel Mm -hmm. with the piano key, which... It it just, it harkens back to that sort of an era. I feel like he's starting to showcase a little bit of his influences from growing
1: up with this introduction here. Yeah, I could see that. And, I mean, of course, being very 80s in synth, it can also come across as sounding very 80s in pop as well. And the structure of this song is a lot more uh, straightforward pop, I think, than than the first track. Not that the first track is not pop by any stretch, but it's still very much that, you know, reshaping the, the... The style of the first verse and chorus in a whole new manner. That's still very uh, that that's a heavy compositional style. This itself is really more you know verse, chorus, interludes, that kind of thing. It's it's a little bit more of a it's a straightforward example. I think for for even for the strings, which really do color this track, because amidst that, you're you're really just getting a lot of. these 80s synth motifs over and over and over again. The, what's cool is the rhythm, though. Not that the rhythm is is, is bizarre by any stretch, it's just 4-4, four, four. but a lot of times it, it, it you can see it in a more complex manner because of the accents. The accents are off on almost every single measure. One measure, the accent is on the second beat. The next measure, it's on, you know, say, the first and the fourth beat. And they tend to to go through this cycle of accents so many times that after a while you tend to perceive it like it's in an odd time signature. It's, it's, it's a very independent synth uh, synth melodic line. It also allows each uh, lyrical section to musically
2: have its own character. This build, well it's not really a build. He, he tends to shift the, uh, the synth line and a lot of the other through lines instrumentally to uh, maintain the same sort of melody and the same sort of rhythm. But like you said, oddball it, to, to change it up just enough so while he's not necessarily building a wall of sound, he's instead just exploring different ideas with that same sort of melody, that same sort of composition, which is
1: really enticing by itself. Yeah, but it does seem to build a lot I mean, actually the chorus I I struck me as extremely catchy. This, this I'm whole, talking verses, I'm talking oh, verses. Oh, just verses themselves. Oh yeah, sure, but the verses themselves are kind of short. But so I mean before they're it does, you're right. They they build, they start to layer all the interesting things, and then by the time the, the choruses come in it's it's full force. Everything seems to just jive together perfectly. You get that that, that chorus, Sorceress Valkyrie. You let yourself believe. Sorceress come clean you let yourself believe that there is nothing to lose there is nothing to lose nothing to lose this is this is very you know depressing at the same time a longing
0: yeah and it, it, i think what adds to that longing feel is like the high flutter that the strings go through in the choruses also on top of that his vocal quiver that we already established in the first track is very prominent here and i think that quiver is what gives that kind of longing feel almost like a crack in the throat or break in your your, your vocals kind
2: of uh, that always kind of alludes to emotion is when you have a break in your voice the comping here is is amazing in the chorus. It it's just so
1: impactful. I really the strings don't even care. The strings are very majestic and they and they kind of come across like like the strings that would normally comp during like a like a funk track from the 70s. You know, a lot of times they use strings in that manner. And and it, it's true. It's it's majestic at the same time, kind of groovy. So it seems like this album kind of hit a little bit of a pop stride, but you know pop on a whole nother level pop like as far as i know no one else has done
0: yeah i think that the thing about the pop version that he's kind of leaning towards though is that it's not incredibly pop as far as other artists that we've covered this year he definitely still keeps it as his own and shows you that that composition style kind of still breaks it from the
1: samey framework of Generic pop, which... true. And this track is not devoid of that compositional style. For instance, yeah. just following the chorus, we get a very odd instrumental. This 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 strange part where the the E flat major steps in, and then it it slides down to a D flat major. You know, and that's I think another one of those examples, like the wheel on the keyboard, where you're trying to change everything over like a whole whole step down, and then it goes another half step down this time to to C minor. So this is like like this defeatist portion of this track where everything is just is just falling and, and, and getting a little bit more clenched up and amidst this other things start stepping forward, like the strings themselves. They got a lot more faster than and they're very short, very staccato. It it starts energizing this track and it starts to get it going, so that by the time it reaches the second verse, everything's a lot crazier than it came across the first time. It's not just introducing things. Instead, you're you're fluffing them up. Really bizarre sound effects like those ths th uh X sound effects like you get in the beginning of movies swells and retreats it it does a good job of of building the conflict that he
2: titled this track with i especially like the uh second part of of that second verse the shadow of violence is the shepherd of sense i love that line i i think that it's uh. an incredibly fitting line for what anger is it it, it cuts to the core it it it's just so well put that plus his vocal work I I'm, I'm getting a little scared of the kind of direction a person like this can go to. <laughs> He's kind of showcasing a very dark side in a
1: very melodic way in a very in the, yeah it's, it comes across as kind of ironic um, because he can he can paint very dark themes very. Positively, as far as the music is concerned. Again, I'm still kind of grooving to the chorus, and I yeah. feel like I shouldn't be when you le- read some of these lyrics. Well, I mean, truth be told, there are plenty of artists,
0: especially in the pop genre, who have made very danceable songs about very terrible things. So True. it's not that uncommon. But I think that the um, in summation of this track, its it's just kind of that conflict both in melody both in sound both in message both in structure like i think that's all intentional i think you really have this giant ball of
2: conflict no matter what angle you look at it which i think is really fascinating about this track and it's not really projected conflict it's still held within side. i think that's why it's he's grinning as he's telling you something terrible i think that's what it kind of boils down it's to internalized yeah. yeah and it's 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 a very repressed kind of an idea because there's laughter on the outside yet darkness on the in. It's a it's a great duality. I, I it's very endearing yeah. because Powerful. every everyone's felt that way before. Yeah. From here, let's go to track
0: three on a path. Whereas from the get go, from the moment this track s- starts,
1: we get this sweeping, swelling intro of strings. This is different. This yeah. is not, this, for instance, the same thing we got in the first track. And this is what I was trying to convey as far as this artist being a, uh, um, he's a composer. He knows how to orchestrate, but at the same time, it's, it. this is somewhere between several different animals. It's not just cinematic, but it's it, it's also not just, say, you know, late romantic, early 20th century kind of work. And it's also just not orchestrated pop chords, you know, because a lot of artists do that. That's very, actually very common in pop music itself. This is this is chilling stuff, like back hair on end kind of stuff. To start off this track, we get this this very sweeping B minor thirteenth chord, which then slides down to it I believe to an E major ninth, but there might be some added tones in there, or maybe even just E major with a few added tones, but that does not do the do any justice to the depth of this voicing. Again, extremely complex stuff and it comes across very chilling. But then the funny thing is the shift that occurs right after this. It's it's so different. From here on, after this little second of silence, the main verse is driven by this pizzicato riff. Uh, a bunch of you hear a bunch of uh, maybe upright basses, certainly cellos, and maybe even violins themselves. Almost all instruments come together to to pluck all basically the entire uh, the entire foundation. Of, of this next section and in doing so they come across as the rhythm. It's really fascinating
0: the strings essentially become the percussion in the song and I would not really ever heard anything like that before I'm sure
1: it's been done but it's definitely not yeah. common. There may sure. be a uh, percussion like added in there but if it's so it's indistinct no, and what yeah. really comes through is the, is the, the pizzicato itself so uh, you know it's funny considering that Matt you had just mentioned it a, a couple episodes ago how when we were talking about about uh, following through on, on various different types of texture and making it so that certain cliched forms of texture don't sound old like clapping and you were calling for some kind of wildly n- new way of, of conveying the same thing this is is proof in the pudding right here. This is what we want to see more of um, and from that we go into the verse. I mean, obviously that's sort of the, the foundation of this verse and it, it perpetuates this kind of in and out motion, in and out, in and out, because the the, the plucking, it, it's it's not that it just pulses at you consistently. It plucks lightly, then it plucks loudly, plucking lightly, plucking loudly. So every other beat, you feel this 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 wave, this undulation to the whole to the whole framework. It's absolutely fascinating. And, and again, this, consists, uh, this persists, persists throughout the track in various different sections, but they, they adapt themselves to, to fit the mood of each section, which does change as we go on. I, I, just, I really like the framework of this song. I think like the first
0: two songs were great for many reasons, but I think this is where we're really getting a sense of. We're really getting into Owen. We're really getting a sense of his style, of his construction, of what he can do. And, and what he's trying to say I also like that uh, once we get to the choruses how the outros of the is
2: built, you know, we get a more orchestral sound by that point it it's not that the chorus is, though, really leading great. And that's the, that's what bothered me at first. The first time you hear the chorus, and even later on when the chorus comes back, it doesn't feel like it leads very well, but it infuses the melody from the verse into it fairly quickly, which you you get to see the blend sort of happen as it goes along. And I love the outros because that it's sort of like a flip side to what we normally expect
1: when you're going from... A to B when you're going from that verse to chorus structure. I noticed the same thing actually when we were going from the pre chorus itself into the chorus. The, the pre chorus, you know, very, very elaborate as far as vocal harmonies are concerned, because it seems like he's either layering himself or he has backup vocalist in this point. And then it ends on an E dominant. And from this chord into the chorus, To be honest, I'll admit it wasn't the greatest transition in the world upon that first chord change. It goes from E down to a B minor, and it's, you know, that's pretty standard. Um, Also here, the instrumentation itself seemed a lot thinner, so it was kind of a reduction in the chorus, it almost felt, which uh, didn't have me in the first moment, but it progresses. There's this stepwise motion amidst the chorus um, in the chords themselves, There's sort of this seesawing string motion back and forth, and it builds us through the motions culminating back to that b minor well first to a b minor 9th um in in the first instance and then after the second phrase then it's the full, full full-fledged b minor 13th that we had back in the intro and i love this manner that the chorus even though it didn't seem to to, to go toward anything um, it, it basically didn't develop right away. It, it, it kind of shrunk back a little bit and then redeveloped to bring back that earlier sound bite, which certainly was not just thrown in there for the sake of it. It's this this driving uh, soul of the song falls on that B-13th, and it's absolutely beautiful. Combine that with the cool rhythmic effects going on, and this, this song just was riveting front to back. And that rhythmic effect, uh,
2: both... Myself and I believe Storm saw it as well as sort of a Disney Pixarish kind of grand idea of a a, a center stage movie piece. Um, I wouldn't say Disney Pixar. I would say more just cinematic in
0: general. I think Neil. Um, I think Steve had hit the nail on the head trying to say Steve and Nail and got Neil <laughs> trying to. Well, Nagel does mean nail, so you know that's does my really? last name. Yeah, in German. Wow, that's why I saw a construction company called Nagel before.
1: Yeah, because I think I once searched my name and it's like, yeah, That's hey, look at that! Funny. I'm a nail company.
0: Sidetracks aside, um, so yeah, so it it really does kind of go that route, and it I completely lost my train of thought. What the hell was I trying to say before I went off on your name? You were talking about you know nails. Apparently, and hitting the nail on the head. I don't know. But what I really like about the structure of this song is that it does kind of move through and build, and it doesn't have these random effects that are kind of just useless in there. Regarding uh, the kids' theme, regarding yeah.
1: that sort of kids' movie theme is what he was that's discussing.
0: That's right. So so the cinematic nature. You had hit the nail on the head at the beginning of the podcast when in the first track you mentioned that he has this kind of cinematic orchestral sound. And I think that's what John's gravitating to because he's a kid at heart. He's seen mostly orchestral-themed
2: Movies that were kids' movies. Well, no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I would say that the, just the through line of the rhythm, the back and forth and up and down nature of it, really does, it propels the same sort of way that I would, I would equate a lot of, like, the, the happier songs that you get in Disney movies. Just the,
1: let's, let's go on a journey. Let's go from A to B. But see, to me, this is a real simplification of what's going on here. I mean, you only see that because the rhythm itself, as addicting as it is, is a little bit childish at times only because that pulsating that that seesawing you know i guess these themselves are kind of like playground words you get this you know in and out motion and then there's a pause for say just one beat and then it goes back to that you know one and two and three and four and and there's very it, it's 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 addicting in in the way that i think probably any one of all ages could could get on board with this i think this would be a great track even just to show a kid because they would probably you know Little minds—they're manual. They're—they're—they're they're malleable. They would probably attach this thing, and it would get stuck in their head. They would get addicted to it, and in the process, they're learning some pretty interesting stuff about how to orchestrate, albeit subconsciously. It's exactly the kind of track I would love to share. But that in itself doesn't equate to a Disney movie. I don't think I would find it in plot.
2: No, it. I—I I would still make the argument because the content, also can lean towards this way because the content is all about kind of moving on growing up less the going from a a terrible time to a positive time or anything of that sort but merely the passage of time changing perception the passage of time changing
1: who you are as a person fair enough and there's one section of this track that definitely uh supports that but it's also the portion that uh, I think retracts from the other part because this is the portion where I, I don't think a, a kid would be able to, I mean, in, unless you're a very advanced kid, then maybe you could get on board with this. But that aside, there's a bridge in this in this song, a deeply experimental bridge. And this is probably eh, as close as I would ever get to calling him avant-garde, although this is still very, uh, very accessible stuff. It 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 plays around with the in betweens. It starts layering in these vocals, uh, set apart by very very wide intervals, stacking them one on top of the other, one one vocal harmony on top of the other, and and it creates this sort of round for the duration of this section. Before uh before I think finally returning to to another verse and chorus toward the end. But for the midst of this section, it, it's 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 the chance for this track, which otherwise has a simple rhythmic. And, and simple uh, uh tonal construction, this is the chance for it to play around re- in a really complex way.
0: Yeah, and it bl- and bleeds right into that kind of orchestral close that more romantic, I think we all agreed towards the end, it kind of felt of that era. Maybe not exactly,
1: but definitely alluded to. Well, whenever it swells up to those those thirteenth chords, you know, I always I always I guess suppose think of like a late romantic time. But at the same time that that's that's pervaded most of 20th century uh, uh, cinema composition. You know, I could see John Williams doing this kind of thing in a heartbeat, um, not to mention many other great uh, composers for cinema. It seems like he has the knack for cinema composition, and of course, we know he does. Composed for her. <laughs> yeah, and, and needless to say, it's a great and strong close to the song kind of going on in that romantic yeah. swell. Yeah, I, I guess the point I would, I would uh, make... To close this off, is that it still comes across as as, as original. I don't want yes. to just throw it into this, you know, uh, oh, sweeping never, pile no. of like oh, I would yeah, never it's cinema yeah. music cinema I said music, it resembled, you know. I didn't say it
0: was. Fair enough. Um, and that takes us to track four, which is called Song for Five and Six. Which <laughs> is in case you missed it, track four
2: is called Song for Five and Six. Don't worry, the numbers are gonna get a little more confusing in the next track as well. This one starts with I guess the only way we can uh, the only way I can term it in is Daft Piano. It is an electric keyboard kind of a setup that it, it just harkens back to a lot of what Daft Punk has done in their career that I, think, I believe was I believe was kind of intentional.
0: I think it's more focused towards that kind of 80s tron style synth that we'd
1: gotten in that movie it was very reminiscent of that very technology dripping with 80s sound well that's because it's very even and it also tends to focus around uh you know pretty simple motions basically just arpeggiation it's an arpeggiated synth from the very beginning and it's it's accented by these by these strings in the background that are just just plucking periodically here and there but then there's one other thing that starts to uh that starts to step in. It's sort of this twisted howling sound in the background, you know, and that, that especially starts coming in later toward the bridges. So in general, it does come across as very electronic um, and very almost a little bit rigid, I suppose. I, in many ways, I think this is something that's also kind of easy for uh, a kid to get on board, not... not uh, suggesting the fact that there's a reference here to that effect. At five and six, even as a child, you felt the terror of the infinite, stenciling your diagrams of trilogies and pyramids on the face of the infinite, and sing about a poetess, hyacinth, around her feet. That it will never come again is what makes our life so sweet. That's beautiful. Yeah, and what really kind of sells the way he sings
0: that is that that synth that we started with, by that point in the song, once he starts to sing kind of becomes this rolling wave of synth. It's not so even anymore. It's even enough because it has peaks and valleys, but you kind of get this almost wave that you're riding as he's singing these lyrics. And it, it, it really is, I don't want to say soothing per se, but it's not, it's not as aggressive as some of the other songs had been. True. It's definitely more even and more soothing than previous
2: tracks. But with those lyrics, just <laughs> dissecting them it's it, it becomes the exact opposite it's almost nightmarish in just the sort of ideas he's presenting
1: well to i don't mar- know I don't no think no
2: so. to warn you with a bloody hand to never try to make the bend said like a blister undersole the body will heal any hole the body gradually transforms and loses its features one by one until it is as beautiful as the wind before the storm that's some weird stuff going on there that's that's Half nightmare,
1: half perfect dream, kind of a landscape going on here. But see, this is the thing. I I find this in the context of a child's imagination, which can get pretty damn warped. So, as far as I'm concerned, this is all this sort of innocent exploration of 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 the bizarre and 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 the untamable. Um, that in itself doesn't mean that anything particularly uh, particularly awry is going on. I don't think yeah. it implies anything horrific here. It just, it, in many ways, I actually going back to the, the the line that I had 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 referenced, stenciling your diagrams of trilogies and pyramids on the face of the infinite. That in itself broaches much more positive things, the kinds of more grandiose um, and things that might come across, uh, that might come out of a child's imagination, you know. Because again, amidst thinking of the very bizarre and macabre child. Children can also think of wild, utopia environments. So all of this comes across in this song, and it, I think the playfulness of it, it fits it, to be honest. I agree. I think this fluctuation also shows both
0: the darkness and light within himself, possibly at that age as well, yeah. speaking from personal experience. And there's,
1: there's, of course, one more section in this song that, that captures it beyond any shadow of a doubt, um, because it's, it's it, it lacks lyrics. This is the section toward the end which I could only describe as some sort of baroque bash. Yeah, it's 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 an all-out jam, and it and it and it makes use of all these uh, varied varied motifs that we've been building up here and there in in the track, and then all of a sudden it brings it all together. It's it's in six, so it has this this uh, very flowing motion to it, but also this overlapping motion to it, kind of like it's overlaying two, three, four different sound bites. You get the strings, you get the uh, you get the, 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 the synths themselves that perform one phrase and then another phrase right on top of it, a little bit higher, and it's, it's one on top of the other, one on top of the other. It's still in 6, but at many times these motifs will fall in different places within that 6-8 that, that structure. So it's, it's, it's rich, it's flourishing, and to be honest I found it entrancing it, it captures the imagination.
0: It's a brilliant build and it really kind of takes you along for the ride. The entire time this synth was building to something and really bringing you along and I think it culminates with this outro it,
2: Culmination is is great but the, the tone I think I honed in a lot more readily on than the actual framework for some of his builds. There was a fam- familiarity with the builds that while i I did really enjoy kind of got hammered in by the end of this song for me i I couldn't unsee them. it felt like he was borrowing very heavily but making it his own as opposed to just more original composition work which i i I'm not gonna say that he's stealing it or anything like that that that's that's obvious but He's he's he is coming up with original ideas,
1: but it's original ideas I think other people have kind of done already that that bothers me that goes back to to the To what he's pursuing here again This is the mind of a child and it's probably the mind of him as a child Which you place that around because I believe he's about 35 years old right now You're talking about something around you know late 70s 80s right here this is basically the time frame which you're working and you're dealing with synth that would be in that in that style not to mention the kind that would come out of video games look at the line you had read before you saved the game and escobar came from the grave to warn you with a bloody hand never to try to make the band said like a blister under so this is this is the imagination this is this is immersing yourself in a game yeah like a, a game which most likely would have featured these kinds of sound effects so of course it's borrowed but again it's reinvented in his manner of encapsulating every facet of his youth I think he very
0: much makes it his own and personalizes it. I don't really get that sense of it feeling unoriginal.
1: Um, but you could just, you could, I mean, you could do the math perfectly. No, no. song for five and six, let's see, 35, puts it back at about uh, 30, 70, born in 78. You're talking about the sound bites of 1983, approximately.
2: And I did not say unoriginal. Don't put words in my mouth on this one. This, I did not say unoriginal. I feel like he's borrowing a little bit too heavy. That was where I came from.
1: He's borrowing so much as the synth. And I'll, I'll, I guess I'll leave it at that. I can't detect any borrowing beyond that particular sound choice and the arpeggiation there, therein. Okay. Now we go on to the further confusion of
0: track five, which is called The Secret Seven, which followed track four, which was song for five and six. Odd. <laughs> so The Secret Seven, the first thing you really notice from the moment the song starts is we get this composition that at this point we're getting used to a certain style choice. But there's this drone. We talked about drones before when we had Molly on the podcast um, and we were talking about The Once. The Once often used a kind of drone to give certain songs an even feel or, or even a slightly unsettling feel.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what that drone is doing here. To call it a drone, though, is, is a, little bit, uh, it's a little bit unspecific, only because a drone, you typically expect just the word drone to, to you would associate it with something deeper. And in this case, it's very high-pitched. It drones on. It it doesn't stop, but it's it's this ear piercing tone, like the kind that people report when they have tinnitus or something like that. And it's 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 off pitch. It's unsettling. And the funny thing is, it exists over a song that, without it, would be fairly normal, fairly standard pop, uplifting. Um. But the funny thing is that when that's there, it's it's waning. It's phasing a little bit, and and it, it keeps you from feeling the the. The, the settled nature of, of, I suppose, most of these verses.
0: It makes you feel a little unsettled, a little uneasy. It kind of adds a, a hollowness to this track that would
1: have otherwise been somewhat romantic, I think, without that drone. Yeah. And I won't say it's entirely uplifting, the, 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 the chorus, for instance. The chords do, do clench up a little bit. Um, particularly, let's see... No, 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 the water will get higher as fast as you run. At that moment, you know it, it's you're dragging out that that word higher, and then at this moment the bass is also very strong. So it, it starts getting a little bit, a little bit more. Um, I think inventive in the rest of the track. It's not to say the rest of the track is devoid apart from that single pitch, but uh, <laughs> to be honest, you you put it best before how you said it's not the kind of it's not the kind of sound effect that you can entirely ignore. But it's also not the kind of sound effect that you are so focused on you can't pay attention to the rest of the track. Yeah, it kind of
0: exists, exists in that realm where you're conscious of it, but do nothing about it. I am. That mixed with later on in the song they bring in these sound effects that are almost siren-esque, like like a, a siren of a fire truck going down the street. That mixed with that drone even makes it more unsettling, because the song, otherwise besides these sounds, like we said, would sound fairly uplifting. So it kind of almost is this unsettling
2: horribleness or tragedy amongst a happy thought.: Well, these aren't really the happiest of thoughts. This is, once again, I feel like he's grinning on the outside. Because on the inside, he's thinking it don't get better to hunger even back in his arms. Know the water will get higher as fast as you, as fast as you run. He, he repeats mm-hmm. that as fast, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. I'm out on the street with an open case and a mandolin, and with every coin I'm born again. Faith will return to you, my friend. Yeah, he's getting up there. He, 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 he does have a little bit of hope. But later on, sun it rises to shine upon the wreckage of our broken, bloody union. Come <laughs> on. I mean, he he can't just say something happy, even when he's portraying a happy melody. Even if he had not included that, that, that tinnitus wine, if he had not included some of the disjoints and and, and chaos that he throws in here, he, he just can't just be happy-go-lucky. He still has to go to a, a
1: deeper place where... Not everything is is roses. Well, there's several uh, there's several features of this track also that I think fill that out. For instance, um, what you do get is it's kind of almost like a narration here. There's this this comp work occurring in the strings that's a little bit independent of 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 the uh, the underlying riff, and then amidst that you also get these varying chime pulses. So there is this like push to to keep everything connected and keep it positive, but then you get you know the next chorus and breakdown. From there, we go into the instrumental. And the instrumental, w- it's reduced to merely the tinnitus ringing, almost you know silence amidst that. And then gradually things start start stepping in again. You get the, this this eerie dawning of 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 strings, which are themselves very melodically independent of everything else. They're the only thing going on. It's just the tinnitus ringing and uh, and the strings. And then things gradually start coming back together. For the for the end, the final stretch, the last verse you get, and the last chorus you get, seemed almost like it was a little bit thinner, like a little bit weaker than the original. So I, I do get a sense that there's something sort of starting to fail in in, yeah. in the it, progress. It. It, it gives this feeling emotionally
0: of a, a uh, falling apart or falling out or giving up almost. And I think that not only in the lyrics is that conveyed a bit, but definitely in the emotionality of the tone as well.
2: It's it's all it's. The song really does a great job of trying to make a connection with the listener and telling them they get better, even though he's, he has to still talk from personal experience that things don't always get better. But he's the sort of person that's gone through the same sort of idea, which is why the song lyrically closes out with him giving out his number, his telephone number. That's, that's the last line. And from what I understand, I believe it's his actual telephone number. <laughs> no area code, so you're gonna have to look that up. But that's that—that's actually reaching out to your friends and going, "Hey,
1: this is your life is effed up. So was mine. So is mine. Call me." Well, that's just it. The last in the beginning of that verse: "The sun that rises to shine upon the wreckage of our broken, bloody union—does it fill your gaps like it fills mine?" the sunlight creeping across the line to rest upon the site of our ruin. And if your mother doesn't answer, give me a call. Here's my number. <laughs> it's just, it's very, it's very self-reassuring, but it acknowledges that there, that there's some things you just can't fix.
0: Yeah. But in that, he's saying, you know, you're not the only one who's going through this. I have too, and please reach out. Which I find a lot of artists do, especially when they have a more sensitive side where they're speaking personally. They kind of convey this, this, this emotionality that is essentially saying, call me, you're not alone.
1: There are other people who are suffering with you. You know, we can talk. That's and- why I really appreciated the, 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 the motion of this story, that it, it starts out with that nagging problem in your ear, which we, uh, is conveyed through the ringing, and then uh, for a while, there's, that's the only thing present, where the, 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 the whole focus of the problem is centered on that all you hear is the ringing and then it starts to build back because obviously life has to continue at some point and you always find people to support you in those times so uh, again this is just a, a brilliant message conveyed musically which we don't see too often uh in, the, in this manner through the use of texture he's conveyed that particular emotion of of uh, loss and and feeling on the outs
0: from there we go to corral track six no more numbers for now, anyway. Well, um,
1: there are numbers, but that's actually in the track. So, corral. First of all, it features the brass section from the Film Harmonic Orchestra, which is uh, important to note. So he has, again, lots of session musicians coming in to sort of fulfill this vision of his. And indeed, the brass, it's, it's full force here. You, once, you had described it originally as, as sounding regal. Um, a, a, for instance, one of the main things you feature, you hear here is, is uh, the French horns themselves. I think French horns are, are the most—they they seem to stand through the most because it's this very deep, but at the same time, uh, rumbling, not quite—not uh, very bright. It's, it's a little bit muffled, and that, that's, the, that's the essence of, of it's, it's what a, French horn is best at doing.
0: Yeah, it's an almost—it's regal, but also almost ominous. Like, I equated it to the horns before an
1: execution— well, this is because, oh, well, actually, that's a, a, an excellent analogy, and also because of what the horns are doing at that particular moment. They're sort of falling down the minor pentatonic here: B flat, A flat, G flat, E flat. And pentatonic is one of those things where you know you don't quite feel like you're in minor at the same time; you don't quite feel like you're in major. You're you're sort of drifting between the two worlds, um, like you're caught in some kind of in in some kind of odd funeral, let's say. Uh, the rhythm supports that also because it's just hammering this home in, 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 in seven time. So you get these implacable tones amidst this implacable rhythm. And it just seems like there there's no handle in this particular track. Well, I he, like that.
2: He doesn't seem to go through the same motions of build that he'd done in the previous tracks. This seems to be very focused on those horns and on... I guess it's, it sounds like a piano being attacked or being played with hammers because it's not just crashing or, or breaking noises. It, it, it sounds like nailing the keys down, literally nailing the keys down on a piano or a keyboard. It's a very interesting duality between that and the very drawn and like you said, deeper uh, work of the horns that
1: really makes it very, a, a distinct sound. Well, what you're describing here, that, that sort of the pops, the creaking, uh, you even heard it as water droplets or construction work. This is like the, the texture, the color that, that fills out most of this track. And sometimes it sounds as if it's not even integrated with the rhythm. It's just independent. It's occurring. It's, it's fulfilling your setting, but it, 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 it's very often separate.
0: Yeah, it feels like its only purpose yeah. is to set the mood and the setting.
1: Yeah and, and there's I, no and there's no distinct pattern to it it seems either or at least you know it's not that's not the main focus really it's 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 purposely uh ev- evading you
0: well that's why i said uh earlier that it had like when we were listening previously that it had kind of given me this intention of a pre pre execution imprisonment because the water droplets, the, con- the construction sounds are almost things being banged like a chain gang kind of a thing. I mean, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but that's just kind of the impression I
2: got with the mood, the horns, and those sound effects. And it works to the lyrics. Out from the heavens, one of the seven comes to collect me while I am sleeping. Holy enemy, leave me, leave me be. I'd be leaving too much behind me, unfinished, unripened. And I love the lines, he is a creature of song, in his voice a model of the kingdom of heaven. But he comes from another world, a world I could not, could never believe in. I love that line. It's so much imagery without actually using the roots of the word imagery. It's a vocal imagery. It's not actually painting a picture.
1: It's purely painting a sound. What would the sound of heaven be? Well, this is also. I mean, obviously, this is getting a little bit closer to something that's more on the nose here. It seems like, quite frankly, more of a religious crisis, um, and I mean, this this comes out of some kind of doubt. Even just with what you said, he's a creature of song and his voice, a model of the kingdom in heaven, but he comes from another world, a world I could never believe in. It's 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 that that doubt that seems to drive this song. Um, but also this sensation of judgment, and that goes back to more what you said, Matt. Like, your your time is upon you. You know, if you are waiting, say, to be executed, which is obviously that, that, it brings to life that, that old quote, there are no atheists in foxholes, you know? Yeah. Whenever your death is upon you, you cannot help but wonder, and perhaps even hope, because that's basically your only recourse at that moment. Otherwise, that's it.
0: <laughs> yep, that's the end. Yep. And and I think that this song kind of conveys that both in the lyrics that John's quoting as well as in the sound. And this is another song where we're really getting a sense of a theme.
1: So it's between both of you, In, yeah. in, in many ways, because it fills out both of I mean it fills out both of your your ideas here. It conveys both the judgment and the doubt at the same time. Because there's a majesty to this, there's a certain majesty amidst that 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 regal brass feel, um, so perhaps regal is the wrong word, although if you say "kingdom in heaven, then of course that can apply you know in, in a in a heaven sense um in the same light. but it, there's just there's so much doubt amidst this that it's like you're being called to something that isn't there. It's almost as if the angel of
2: death is his favorite composer. or the ultimate composer uh, of music it's an incredible idea i see that as sort of the he's personification personifying this it's a a very unique concept uh to be honest and one thing i do want to hone in on this is one of my favorite vocals of the entire album especially towards the end the way the the horns going as deep as they are are really paralleling and accenting his voice the, the the comping is is phenomenal
1: here I love it i I really can't get enough of it in this song and even the horns themselves it's, it's the 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 harmonizing the four part harmonies within the horns this is something that you know i I want to see so much more of in in music that isn't uh in, in in you know pop music even rock music or or just anything that's released because a lot of times this is this is more what you'd get say during a military ball say during you know obviously an actual church service um if, if you're obviously presenting a r- real chorale in the grand sense, but it, it's, it's a tone that you just don't find very often nowadays within the, the, the muffled and, and yet stately sounds of, of, of horns, trumpets, uh, French horns, that kind of thing, but integrated with other instruments. When they're harmonized, they, they're beautiful. It sounds like it, it's so integrated in the way those sounds just come together, yeah, each pitch of it it's beautiful we're really getting a sense at this
0: point in the record of what his sound is and even though we can't pin it to a specific genre i think that we don't have to because it's it's reminiscent of those bands that you don't really want to pin to a genre you just want to embrace their construction
1: and their sound and we're really getting a sense of it very strongly at this point in the record and we we come out of this track almost like a like a kingdom has just fallen this 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 very sorrow weakness as we go into track 7 the passions which begins on an even darker front in so many the, in different ways perhaps
0: the the intro is straight up synth we get kind of no other instruments in the very beginning it's just straight up synth work with interesting pauses between the phrases it's it's he, both in the, musically and vocally he puts Inflection and pauses in very
1: unique places. Instead of finishing a complete sentence, he pauses and then finishes the sentence. Very, very astute places. And um, obviously, this is very slow. So that's another thing. When you're when you're in a very slow kind of droney sort of uh, sort of track, then to all of a sudden stop it is like your your breath has just left you before you give it get the chance to pick it up again. That's aided, of course, by the, the swells that enter this. But let me, let me just explain a couple of other things here. Because, first of all, I, I think one of the drones that I felt is sort of this E pedal beneath this. I, I feel this in E somehow. At the same time, the beginning seems to go from like A major, a major to, to C major. It's this, this, this uh, working around this, this, this triad work here. And then this very eerie, but at the same time, very gorgeous melody. Kind of like, like, a, like a 1960s noir romance here. That's the framework amidst this, the color that we get. As I just said, the swells that occur around this kind of go back to that that THX sound effect, this this sweeping, sliding sound effect that comes in irregularly, just in the right places to confuse you a little bit, make you feel even more unsettled when you were just about to start, you know, (laughs) settling. And he uses his... Uh, lyrics who also
2: create this unsettling feature not just in their content but in the pacing of the lyrics themselves we talked about the drugs and we decided to abstain but still we locked ourselves inside and then it's the, Mm the 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 way he he just inflects everything and the way he
1: catches his breath in between words are it's it's really worrisome it seems like there's a hesitance to tell this story and we start to get towards the crux of the matter when you hit that, that line, which, basically, you don't have to be reading lyrics for this to kind of catch your ear. You hooked your pinkies on my jeans. I'm 28 and you're 19. So, clearly, you have a deal of this sort of age gap forbidden romance transpiring here. Um, You know, not that that's terrible, 28, 19, but... You're clearly dealing with two very different stages in life of uh, instances in which you're going to be heavily dealing with, with uh with perhaps doubt surrounding you. Um and scrutiny, I'm sure. Scrutiny a lot, yeah.
2: And then he follows that line up. He follows both word blocks because they're it's just verse work here. Because I don't I wouldn't call the chorus what what, what follows it? Compassion, compassion, the long, drawn out wailing almost. But
1: yet still tender. The choice oh, it's, of that word—it's tender, and that's the thing. During these these, these choruses, you have—it's—it's it's tender. It's also a little bit blissful. But it strikes me as the dream amidst this that this will work. This this has to work. You know, we we feel for each other. It seems there is compassion present. Therefore, we believe in 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 uh, the fruitfulness of this endeavor. But that's just not coming through when we get back to the verses. And even amidst that chorus, there's other things that take root here, other things that that make it very apparent to the listener, like this is all some big lie. Like, for instance, those those THX sound effects again, as I can only call them because they're these... these sweeping slides down from above like everything is just clenching in life is closing in on you all of a sudden you don't have the same options as you did and and your life is not yours that that's that's the the uh the pain that i feel in this chorus but again it's a bit of a mix you feel the bliss as well it's just the the pitfalls of life here
0: Uh, this like like the namesake of the album is supposed to make you feel conflicted, or at least feel the conflicted emotion that maybe they're feeling. That's why it kind of feels somewhat blissful, but they still have that sub-kind of level
1: of hollowness that still makes it a little bit eerie. Well, the second verse takes that even further, with the innocent fun soon to be will start to feel like currency as we try to get it on in bed. You've given me your home and head. I mean, this is... I love the double entendre work going on right there. I don't think I need to explain it. But even just the first line, uh, "the innocent fun soon to be," will start to feel like currency. How cold could you get? That further implies that perhaps the the compassion that was touted in the previous line was 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 a lie from the get-go. Uh, you know, there's no <laughs> there's no blissful outcome here. It's 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 like trading favors. What
0: I also really like about this track is. Even though we get the unsettling from the sound bites, from the pacing, from the lyrics, when we get to the close of the track and we get towards the outro, it almost tries to move into this romantic sound, but then has these very awkward and halting pauses for just a beat, but, but absolute silence in those pauses, which when you have music that's constant and then a pause that even if it's a beat or two, it's completely unsettling because it gives you enough time to go, Hey wait where did the oh there it is again mm. and it, it really f- cements home this unsettling feeling that
2: this song is trying to convey the uh, the lovely lovely story of of passion and lust while well, it's it's not a fairy tale it that's what it shows it shows that there is a grounding in reality for this sort of an idea of you can have a, a the passion but the problems. There are always problems in every relationship. These are just so much more present and in the forefront in how he's presenting it that, well, everyone's had that rocky relationship. It works so well. Yeah. Now we'll
0: move to track eight, which is The Sky Behind the Flag, which the title already gives you a, a very strong imagery. I mean, if someone says The Sky Behind the Flag as an American, you probably immediately admit. Em- a picture of the American flag on a flag post the sky shining behind it um, which not necessarily is what the actual song itself is trying to convey but it's namesake does give that kind of imagery
1: well this is this is more of a march, so it's conveying that imagery in some sense uh musically. It feels more like a like a march for instance, you hear you hear the uh the snare drum in the background that's a, a big staple of your your military patriotic march um but amidst that, you also get these little rapid flutterings of beeps here and there so there's kind of like an urgency to this, a little bit of an imminence um you take that over to the melody, which is. soaring very high at the same time it also kind of lingers there for a while while nothing changes in the underlying pattern until you get need a miracle Um, that's don't need a miracle we need to lose control men only need to lose control this is where it's a lot more rhythmically synced it seems Uh, almost very kind of exotic a little bit Middle Eastern I I didn't necessarily break this down but I I wouldn't doubt that it could be in Phrygian for all i know it's it's very it's um it, it's exotic in its way, which is real contrast to the previous section and if it wasn't for
2: that little bit of fluttering, I would have even said that this was a little lackluster because the beat yeah. the beat was was almost safe it wasn't completely safe because they did have that not just urgency but almost like the drummer. Every once in a while, someone's slapping his hands away from the drums and he's either got to catch up or fall back behind or just do something to get back into the rhythm. It's once again, we're going to use the word conflict, but it's more than that. It's that slight variation that just keeps me intrigued. And then it goes to kind of expected building that that undergoes that complete tonal shift. Where I thought the track was going in one completely different direction, and it ends up going—I guess what I want to say—the antithesis of what I expected.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's very bizarre. As we go into the outro, I mean, the 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 romantic strings start—they start dying down a little bit, but it's still sort of littered with the pulsing of the synth, kind of like a metronome. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mood swings to this this track. It seems a little hard to place. Yeah, emotionally
0: it's hard to peg as well. I mean, which actually might... Uh, the, the patriotic kind of imagery we were discussing just by the title alone, this kind of almost schizophrenic track that's hard to place emotionally kind of embodies an over-patriotism. You know, this kind of thing where you're proud of a thing but also feel shame for the same thing. That conflict and that kind of um, indistinctness could be intentional, I think, within the track.
2: I would say that it's even it's not really patriotism so much as camaraderie because what, what brings people together more than doing something like reciting a very familiar song, national anthem, hymns, those things are used to bring people together and the lyrics, they speak to this idea of getting together. It's always we, 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 or she and I, he and I. There's always a togetherness in what's being presented with the words. I'd always give that girl another shot. She said I was the guy behind the counter. Everything is just interconnected. I, I feel like this is almost a,
1: a friendly call to arms more than anything else. But at the same time, it's also this, uh, <laughs> I, I, I see patriotism is the wrong word, but it is used to, to basically rouse you. To do do something, a rallying call to himself. He refers to himself in third person at one point. Oh, and why must you always be first to wake and first to flight, first to wound and first to fly? And then there's that. I need to lose control. Why can't I lose control? It's it's a very, it's very oddball kind of kind of roundabout way of telling yourself to, to, you know, rouse yourself on one hand, but also to not take things so seriously perhaps as many ways you could interpret this i think but um but it it was one it was a little bit kind of like the last track it was a little more of that uh in the middle sort of track it's uh it's not quite fulfilling the same thing as, as 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 on the on the money as the previous
0: and this gives way to track nine which is dash dash greater than parentheses one it's, it's, it's a, it's,
1: it's an, an arrow. arrow. Yeah. That's a, all it's it an is. an ASCII arrow it's an pointing arrow at a pr- first part. Yeah. Insert Point. here, say. Essentially.
0: <laughs> and it's our uh, first, in- first and only instrumental interlude. And it's about a minute or so. It's fairly short. And I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's composed. It doesn't really go anywhere though. I feel like it's kind of serves the purpose of this kind of in between moment
1: to break up the record. Well, it uses those horns from before. I mean, it brings that back as a soundbite. It's a more satisfying tone. So, you know, you kind of get that satisfying interlude. A little bit of an intermission, you're right, it breaks everything up. I like the fact that it brought back that as a soundbite, and I still think it was very gorgeous. But I, it's, it's true, it doesn't really seem to be uh, fulfilling anything quite yet.
0: It's just serving a purpose as far as being there and breaking up the record. I
1: believe it's serving more than that, but I think that would have to do with the with the story itself, which we don't we haven't exactly honed down. Yes, that track
0: gives way to track ten, the riverbed, which from the minute it starts is this frantic, hectic, drum, bass, and string clutter. It really, really gets into it right from the from the get go, kind of giving you this idea of an active riverbed.
1: It's um a little bit less impactful, I gotta be honest. As of this particular track, I was, uh, I think I was a little bit disappointed, only because, not only the fact that, you know, we've had, uh, we've had an effective intermission here, and I, I sort of wanted it to move in, in that sort of grand, you know, let, let's bring it home in, in a, in a, in a different way, or try to fulfill the story, uh, as you would expect a story to be fulfilled after um, after an intermission. Plot moves forward, things get a little bit deeper. And you're. I mean, it's true, the franticness does kind of, uh, kind of helps a little bit, but it was a little bit too repetitive for me. This particular track just settled me with almost one groove, and it just went on and on and on. The bass, was... the bass has this halting rhythm, the strings are sweeping, as always, but that, that itself is not really helping this out even the final bass of this track with almost no lyrics is only furthered i guess by the by the heavy f- heavy fast paced drum the again more of a rousing call to arms kind of thing it, it it's rousing it's got rhythm it's about all it has going for it there's no progression in this track i don't know if they
2: were going if he was going for an, another anthem or call to arms i don't know if he was just trying to hype up this this sort of third act of uh, his album but it it came across as just too much of the same thing when the emotional and, and, and musical uh, variety we were getting per track was much more bountiful, was much more colorful in the previous tracks. That said, I love the words in some of these places. Once again, I, as a
1: lyricist, Owen's phenomenal. This this fits. This really does. You know, here's the thing. When you look at these lyrics, the the track itself makes sense. I don't believe it's doing anything m- musically that really that really again makes my back hair stand on end. But this is it fits by simply just being frantic, and that alone, uh, it 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 kind of conveys a sort of middle aged crisis. Perhaps not quite middle-aged yet, but you get a lot of this in the lyrics. Heart, heart in your mouth, hand on the paper. With the new work that you found, the gift of your depression bears you down, down, down. And when you wake for the sixth straight day with the tanqueray, you will rise, rise again, and drink again. Hurdle, hurdle into the the breach. Let your body fall out of reach. The real crux of this comes in the next paragraph. On the day you find, your thirties have left you childless. Remember, when you meet your coupled friends with unease the world will forget all the good you ha- they have done and the world will forget any good you have done hurdle hurdle into the breach let your f- body fall out of reach it's it's very panicky i
2: especially like the the inflection he puts on the world will forget all the good they have done and he rises towards the end and, and it's sort of disheartening but when he does the same sort of thing in the next line And the world will forget all the good you, uh, excuse me, will forget any good you have done. He almost sounds hopeful about that one. He almost sounds like I kind of want to be forgotten. Uh, This way, not just the good, but maybe the bad can be forgotten as well. Maybe I can just do what I want to do and move on and not have to worry about what everybody writes about me or history views me. It's... So great, the, just a little bit of a twang and change. He's putting, but the music doesn't support any of this. I, I, I feel like I kind of wanted something else. No, it
1: supports, no, it but in the simplest of ways. That's the I mean. problem. It's... There have been so much more interest. You know, he know he clearly knows how to use music to the best of his ability. In this particular case, it's very much just like eh, let's make something frantic. He got that that much out, but in the context of this album, it, it's one of the weaker ideas. I disagree. Only, I, I don't disagree that on the album arc, maybe, that it's weak, but what
0: I, I agree that. The structure of the track, if you are not on board from the beginning, you are not going to like it because it does not vary very much. It's very repetitive in the sense that it does not change throughout the entire arc of the song. Well, that said, I liked it from the beginning. So it not changing didn't bother me at all because I was on board from the beginning and I enjoyed the frantic nature of
2: the song. No. Which was only backed up by the lyrics. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it from the beginning, but he had set a precedent of really pushing the boundaries so heavily, and to have a, a heavy build right from the get-go, instead of a slow burn, which I'd almost come to expect, or instead of just just fooling around with the different layers. It was disappointing.
0: I disagree. I was not disappointed by the fact that he changed it up. He wasn't doing what he'd been doing the whole record. He did something different, I wasn't expecting it, and I
1: went along for the ride. Even if it was a little samey throughout, I was on board with it. But it's not drastically different in many ways. It's still using his his go-to's. It's using the texture of this album itself. It's just a little bit more frantic. Again, that's really the only way I can define this track. That, it just doesn't quite you know, reach the same, uh, the same incisiveness as, as, say, back in, like, The Secret Seven where you had that, that, that ear-piercing drone which, which distantly represents something lurking in the background. Here, it was, it was more just, like, the easy solution. And in the end, all I get as, as a listener is just frantic. I, I can't infer further from the story beyond that. Uh, whereas, you know, a track like Secret Seven leaves me wondering. Throughout most of this album, he leaves me wondering. In this particular case, it really just seems there. Yeah, I'm. I'm not getting
2: any major metaphors of like an angel composer of death or anything like that. Yeah, it doesn't
1: have that tone to it. That's the thing, you know. I guess I was just more okay with it being very on the nose. That, that he's, being captured, sad, a, he's really captured a good. range of other emotions. Perhaps you just feel a little short on frantic. So, yeah. Read the lyrics. <laughs> Definitely read the
0: lyrics, or listen for the lyrics, as some yes. of us can pick them up just by listening. Well, this and this, transcribe.
2: Actually, we'll we'll point that out. While he does have slight variance variation on on normal pronunciation, because I believe he's from like Toronto or something like that up in Canada. Yeah, but that's not like that varied. <laughs> no, no, he it, he's got a little bit of a. You see a little bit of the influence of the regional area. Yeah. Um, so it that's like does the most lead... American part of Canada, though. <laughs> no, but I'm seeing... What I'm getting to is some of his pronunciation is a little bit unusual, but he does keep it very crisp and clear, so, which is another thing I really love about his vocals. You can understand pretty much every word he's saying. Uh, that's not something you normally get when
1: you have such a, I guess, a heavy focus on the music nature of it. Well, that's because in general, he's, he's striving towards something very honest, open frank you know most of this is just sort of bearing his heart to the world in in, in many ways so you you can't you know it th- this that's another artistic choice it would be unbefitting to approach that kind of atmosphere with say the the elusiveness of what we got back in you know Darrell's ohio with that vocalist who you can barely even make out anything because it's just conveying you know frantic longing frantic longing he's at the top all the time of up of, of what he can summon within him. He's just at the edge. So that, to the listener, it, 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 kind of all you're getting is the emotion, less so of the words. This is, is, a, um, this is a manifesto. Well, this is also
0: <laughs> in his vocal training, I think, in his style of singing, because it's very almost Broadway-esque, the way he delivers the vocals. So om- almost overly dramatic, like a stage show, which is, I mean, when you're talking something very personal, you would be delivering the lyrics, I think, in that manner.
2: And overdramatic is actually, uh, I think, a, a, a great term for the next track. Infernal Fantasy. This, the sound of the music when we start here, I said something along
0: the lines of a galactic galloping. It feels... Like, it, it's a steady rhythm in the sense that it feels like a galloping horse, but it's done in a synthy kind of sound effect-y way that it feels more outer spacey.
2: And it oscillates between higher register, lower register, but it's very present, and yet pauses. This is another use of, of pausing to uh, set up emotional levels. The problem with this is... Well, it's just galloping through the whole through line of this song just... It, it's focusing too much on the punctuation in my opinion. And that was a big problem for me because aside from the galloping percussion, the, the, the bass that comes in fairly quickly, it, which is great, I love the bass, but it's, it's so fleeting at times that I can't latch on to it even though it's used as such a great emotional tool.
1: Well, this was a tougher one because it—it's it sort of, if—if if I considered the last track to be a bit of a hole in the album, I feel like this uh, poked a little bit more of a hole in the style itself. Only because I liked everything; it was kind of back to back to what he had earlier on. I liked the you know good old fashioned Owen Palette here doing doing what he does setting up texture stacking things on top of the other you get that galaxy gall- galloping and it's very much like soaring through space but it's all you know it's using the 16th notes over and over again that 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 galloping is conveyed by that you know one a one a one ian and one um and then beyond that the bass steps in makes it a little bit more interesting by just sparsely you know throwing an accent somewhere against the beat and then the brass interrupts just you know with the silence swelling amidst that, the brass just interrupts it. And you get this explosion of sound, unfortunately, I, I, it came across to me as a little bit more of a wall of sound. This is one of those instances where I don't think it's pushing boundaries, I think it's just kind of plateauing right there. The melody in this section, unfortunately, feels very apart from from everything else. Until, and this was one perk I really had to give it, the the male choir that steps in here, which again, could be him, could be backup vocalists, uh, but probably just him over him again, and I believe that was the section that continues on with, wait for sunlight, wait for another time, wait for sunlight, wait for another life, sunshine through you, sunshine over you, over you, sunshine through you, sunshine over you. This is um, this is, I think, more what I wanted out of this track, it's just, I felt like it was more of a I'm not. I could never go as far as far as this album is concerned to say a sloppy build, but I think it was a bit of an anticlimactic build.
0: Well, it was because there was not really a build. It started with a sound and then exploded into another using some of the previous pieces, but it didn't build to it. It just jumped to it, and I think we've gotten so used to like at least. In Riverbed, there was no jump. There was a jump into the track, but it all stayed pretty even after that. There was no jump to another sound. Whereas in this, we really get, instead of a build, we get this jump from one sound to another, which I think is could be even considered a little jarring in ways.
2: Well, it this song speaks of. Bluntly, climax. That's what the song really kind of boils down to, and that jump well makes sense within the context of of the theme that's kind of going on here at least <laughs> lyrically I just mm, I just would have liked to actually see the transition it's hard to present such an abrupt idea by doing an abrupt build or an abrupt song and while Steve mentioned the choir I wasn't really feeling the choir I wasn't really enjoying the uh, backup vocalist, which, which was actually a different person, Brian
1: Eno. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Brian Eno. I'm sorry. Oh, Eno. Bri- Brian Eno is, uh, yeah, he's, he's a well-known um, no, British. the we recently that he was featured in. Oh, um, Damon Alburn.: he was Oh, yeah, featured on. that's right. Damon, he's a pretty well-known British electronic artist. Mm-hmm. So, and um, he's actually been on I should mention that in the beginning that he was featured in this album. He has a passion, a quote, passion for backing
2: vocals. He loves doing them. There you go, well, so done them clearly he's as in as high well. demand. And while the vocals are are in and of themselves really good, I do like the choir as far as choirs go. I just felt like it was another departure from... It's a
1: light choir, cy- it's not really choir, For, it's choir-ring, let's yeah,
2: say. Yeah, it's just another departure from what I was enjoying about previous tracks.
1: Um... See, this is going kind of, kind of an odd direction with this track here, only because, again, I think it makes sense. Talking about, you know, infernal fantasy here, I think there is a reason for this climax to be somewhat, uh, well, as I originally interpreted, anticlimactic. I think that this is not really trying to dump it on you all at once, but again, within the context of this album, it just seems like this was executed, uh, somewhat, somewhat to a somewhat lesser degree than previous tracks still think it's interesting and I still think it's got good parts good segmenting but the whole as I said that I was trying to point out within all this is is the progression the approach the development through these different sections we know he's a great orchestrator we know he can build uh things in in a, in a pretty interesting way it's more like now I'm searching for the long form stuff and and that is is I see some holes in that toward the end here
0: and I think that's a fair judgment of this track, and again, as we are inclined to say, it, it's not by any means a bad track. In fact, it's still quite phenomenal. It's just, I think, considering what we were getting earlier on, it's not leading up to expectations, but also maybe we're setting our expectations a little too high. It felt- Hey, he set them. <laughs> yes, that's fair. But I think that the next track, track 12, which, uh, it's so hard to pick a favorite, but I might by the end, but... This is definitely up there as one of my favorites. He, and He
1: reels it back with this track. Track 13,
0: Soldiers Rock. And there's a really simple reason why, for me, I really like it. I, and I've discussed this when we had Schaefer on as a guest, because he's known to do this in his music a lot. But I really like progressive choruses. I like choruses that stay the same in tone, but the lyrical content changes to progress a story. And this song has a very, very, very strong narrative. And the chorus is really
1: convey that progression very strongly. This is also the antithesis to everything I said before. This is, I mean, well, as you said, again, progression. This moves forward. This takes me through uh, not to mention just, just an an idea that I was curious in, just from the sound of it, and then when you really get into the lyrics here, oh, it's uh, the interesting concepts breed interesting approaches. The so songs? we start off playfully. Very yeah. playfully. It, it's It's almost like a like like a stroll in the park and that's kind of what you get from the lyrics themselves too out on a bicycle a reflection left behind the desires of your daughters they will never be defined wild pedal wild wild energized by the by the stolen vodka and triple sec wheels spurting up the flecks of mud on your blue jeans and your turtleneck I'm out on a bicycle, feeling God is on my side. It is so positive at this moment. But let's continue here. My mother didn't believe in discipline or the unconscious mind. Oh, when you finally realize our love is found between the walking and the dreaming. Oh, we find one another. In the afternoon, we bathe. We bathe each other in the evening, and (coughs) fittingly, through that this this little stroll in the park, it's 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 mandolin that I think generally drives this. It sounds like a mandolin to me. It, you get these little these little spurts here, very short two strums and a rest, and two strums and a rest. But it's also very fast paced, and then it starts to introduce a layer. A layer. The first layer you get is this distorted keyboard, and when I say distorted, it's so distorted that you can barely even make it out that it's a keyboard. For a while, I even thought it was just the mandolin fed through some kind of oddball uh, oddball uh, phasing, but in, it, <laughs> It's uh it, it it is the foreshadowing the main foreshadowing feature for this track that will lead us into what we eventually get.
2: Well, from from ooh, we fight one another in the afternoon, we bathe, we bait each other in the evening. It's it just starts putting in a little bit of conflict and that's what this this song ends up being about, truly a, sort of a summation of the idea of what he was doing in this whole album. It's it's childlike conflict. It's Yeah, you fight your brother in the morning, but when you get home, you're both sleeping in bunk beds, all right? You may be, you know, whacking each other upside the head, but at the same time, you're brothers. But when it goes into somewhere between the road and the ever-darkening sky, oh, the greediness of our hearts will not be satisfied. As it is said by the occupants who rally around the outer steps of Parliament, so it is said confidently by the men and women working in the
1: government. Confidentially. Oh, confidentially. But, okay, come on.
2: All right. This You're is...
1: starting to see the comparison build here. Obviously between the kinds of things that you were taught growing up, which is mostly all that strolling apart kind of stuff. Be kind, play nice, do all these, these, these positive things. But My mother still... didn't believe in discipline or the unconscious mind. This is set, it, you get his background within all this. And then it, it, it all of a sudden takes you, picks you up, places you in another environment. The environment is obviously war. Yeah, flat and out war conveyed is- by the final lines. Pick up the bayonet and run it through the run it through the stomach of your brother. Pick up the bayonet and run it through, run it through the stomach of your brother, and then pick up your bloody arm and run it and put it around the shoulder of your lover. All this like, this 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 macabre camaraderie amidst also being taught to hate, you know. Okay, so it's another anti-war track, but it's a damn good one.
0: Well, because it's the overall evolution of a soldier. It's this idea of you're raised one way, you believe one thing, you love your
1: mother, you go to war, and then war changes you. War changes you and it teaches you a different code, a different set of morality that you have to live by because you're at war. But the problem with war is that
0: you eventually have to come home, and that final chorus, that progressive chorus about putting his bloody arm around his lover, is this idea that... You bring those demons home with you. Bingo. There's, there's no cure for any PTSD that you get. You can work through it, but ultimately, you come home and you're someone different, but you still have to put your arm around your lover. You have to continue your life. I wouldn't
2: even say it's an anti-war song. On Unless you really are going down deep in the levels, I would just say... It's this a war is, song. No, no. Oh, that's not no. going down deep in the levels. No, tomorrow. no, no. I would say that this is a satirical propaganda piece.
1: I mean, sure, under the umbrella of Warsong. <laughs> yeah, far but, as like, we're...
2: specifically, like, it, it's, it feels, I don't know, it feels like a USSR-style of propaganda kind of a piece of, yes, go, go, defeat the enemy and then come home and
1: raise your children kind of an idea, which did happen. Yeah, I mean, you can World barely War even II. call it satire when it's so on the nose, considering yeah. it paints one thing and then the other. So it's, you know, you can't even put it as tr- propaganda piece, because, you know, no form of satire that on the nose would ever fall under propaganda. I <laughs> clearly they don't want satire in that department. But just just the way that he introduces various levels of conflict
2: as the song goes on, it's it, feel, it still feels rousing. It still, it doesn't feel like it's Fighting against anything that the lyrics or the vocals are doing—it feels like it's purely supporting it.
1: Oh, I, I well, wait. Which part are you referring to again? The song is a. whole. Th- a oh, whole. The song as a whole. Ah. No, I I can't buy on that. There's there's too many many layers here that are are foreshadowing in in a variety of different fashions. One, of course, is that distorted keyboard. Another is the fact that this is another track in seven. So, you know, you're not exactly feeling the, you know, the one, two, three, four, rah, 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 rah. It's kind of, you know, keeping you a little bit at bay. Can't quite pin down the rhythm all the time unless you found it, then you can kind of glide along with it. But it's still an odd choice. The real musical moment, where this, this, this comes to fruition. All of this is, 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 is basically painted by the strings themselves without any need for lyrics, is the instrumental that comes in the end, where the strings... oh, this is one of my favorite moments on the entire record. When the strings come in, they actually serve the function of, of conveying wartime sounds. Say, a strike, or a blow, or an explosion, and they convey this through highly dense, highly din- dissonant um, chord. I can't even say swells, which is interesting because he's been swelling so much throughout this album and performing these these gradual rises up and rises down. In this case, it's just accents. They enter in really harshly for the duration of a beat, half a beat, and then they're they're gone as as quickly as they came. And. It, Amidst it, you kind of get the sensation that you are at war when you combine that with this very awkward seven time feel it's it, it conveys the chaos of of the battlefield in many ways so this is the, the point of course that precedes that that uh, that return to home before pick up your bloody arm and put it around the shoulder of your lover this is the the this is the motion that led you to that moment I think as a sh- as a f- complete idea and
0: song it's probably my favorite song on the record it's just thematically you know every inch of this song conveys exactly what the message is supposed to be from the music to the emotion to the to the lyrics it's just it's so solid and it's also probably one of the most brilliant ways i've heard a war song conveyed as well because a
1: lot of them tend to be very obvious or very straightforward very obvious very straightforward and also at the same time kind of you know, kind of light and airy at the same time. Like it, it lacks the meaning. It lacks. It lacks the knowledge, of course, of the warrior themselves. Very much. You know, a lot of it comes from like. You know, folk, uh, places on a pedestal where you never actually had to deal with war. You can just sit on on on, on, a, on a hill and judge. Um, this is this is actually sort of pointing out uh, the hypocrisy, point blank. While at the same time, it's not really making any indictment. It's not even making any no. indictment at 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 the war the warrior the soldier or the government even committing it there seems to be an unwritten indictment there but that's only so much as how any person when you really think about it could realize how how much of a contradiction it is in terms of what we're taught and then what we have to do it it's 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 strong it's really strong stuff yeah and we don't get a break from
0: this 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 Song concludes with those final lyrics, a little bit of instrumentation, and then goes exactly right away into our final track, track 13, which is another ASCII arrow pointing at a two in parentheses. <laughs> Obviously, it's supposed to be a second movement or the conclusion, or it's hard to say what it's exactly supposed to mean, but this song from the get go is eerie, disgusting, kind of wet, kind of grimy feeling almost. It's just it's, you're supposed to feel unsettled, whether incredibly so or not, or just a little. There's definitely this kind
1: of darkness to this track. Can't call a song at all. There's a, there's a, there's a, it's peace. There's no, there's peace. no lyrics. It's just, it's all conveyed through the music itself. And the, those water droplets, which sometimes also sound like, like insects, just sort of clip clopping along, popping really, at the, really, um really bright stuff at the same time. You're right, there is kind of a darkness in there, especially when the, the very cinematic string section starts entering in. You get this mostly in 6-8, and it's... there's somewhere... there's an eeriness in it here, but I just can't place it. This is the, the oddball nature to this uh, to the wrap-up of, the, of this album, is because I feel like I'm getting a variety of stories, um, all centering around, of course, that overarching theme Conveyed by the title of the album, in conflict, it's many different areas of conflict in various walks of life. Whether you're a child, whether you're, uh, whether it concerns your significant other, or whether it concerns your your relationship in war. I mean, I can't precisely say where this this uh, part one, part two instrumental really exists in 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 that framework, but um but it perpetuates the mood at least. That's all I can say for it.
0: I think this is a great place for us to kind of take our wrap up. Um, Cause this song kind of is a summation of the entire record, as far as it's kind of a wrap up of the entire conflict
1: that Steve was talking about. Even though in many ways, it's just an instrumental that kind of loosely captures it. But I, I see what you mean, it's, you know. It's a good wrap up track. And I think
0: that first of all, to start, Owen Pellet knows exactly what he's doing. He's he's carefully constructed this record. I feel like there's nothing that happened here by accident. Also, the other artists we had compared him to St. Vincent and My Brightest Diamond, who are also solo composers who do very interesting work with multiple instruments. He's unique in the fact that he is less influenced by pop than the other two were. The other two had very strong pop influences at least in certain songs if not throughout their entire records, whereas Owen is kind of still using a focus on instrumentation through a more um, cinematic orchestral feel. There are very few moments where you don't get a sense of this kind of sim- cinematic orchestral music. You know, there's very, there's pop structure moments, but there's nothing on here I feel that really sounds like a pop song. Maybe in moments and in parts, but definitely not on a whole. Um, and I think that's what its greatest strength is. Also thematically, there's conflict through the entire record i don't think there's a song on here that's not dealing with conflict which is what he's kind of trying to convey some of it's personal some of it's more general but all of it is this this version of conflict that he's conveying there's no songs that i hate there's nothing i don't like um, you know there were moments that Stephen john mentioned where They were unhappy with the direction he took. But I honestly liked the change, the variation, that he wasn't doing these complex layers. He was doing a pretty straightforward straight-through line of um, the riverbed, which I thought the franticness and then the crash at the end essentially gave the song a structure musically of flying down a river on a log, not able to stop, and then going over the side. Um, And it doesn't really break from its its theme emotionally at all um i rated both my brightest diamond and saint vincent very highly i'm annoyed at myself a little bit now and i'll probably bring it up in the year in review and this is going to lend to our topic for today which we'll get to a little bit after our wrap up which is the hyper-focus on our points in the rating system, that's Steve's fault because
1: he started it. The the uh, the miniature decimals, especially as we get closer and closer and closer to five, so stay tuned. Because it's no secret that I, I rated
0: St. Vincent and My Brightest Diamond fives, but truth be told, if I knew about Owen when I heard St. Vincent, Owen would have been higher. And I love that St. Vincent record. I really do. I think she's a fantastic musician has a gorgeous voice but Owen just hits things here that St. Vincent didn't come close to and it makes me wish I could bring it down a bit but again we'll cover that more in the year in review and in our topic so that said my I think only third five of the year is Owen's record this this record is just mind-blowing to me I didn't know what to expect when I heard it and I'm so grateful for Heather for recommending it because I think it's Absolutely fantastic from start to finish. There are issues like any other album, but I think people who are trying to do a, a modern orchestral sound This song is the blue. This album is the blueprint for what, where we can go with mixing layering Instrumentation lyric writing emotionality. I really think this is a strong stepping stone
2: for what's next <laughs> A lot of words you use there I want to bring up again, which is, like, cinematic. Just that, that, that word itself is a very telling descriptor for this album because we have landscapes in the music. The, the brushstrokes of his choice of chordal work, uh, his, the palette he, he uses, in uh, his designs. I'm, I can make a thousand and one different great (laughs) allusions towards paintings because this this music really drives that idea home but it drives the idea home in the in, in the in the realm of distance musically yet personal lyrically and vocally it's it's a great combination for me of what's going on here Great texture, and that's something that we we keep bringing up week after week. I know Steve's actually getting tired of that word. Great texture. But at times, he seems to wander a little bit too far afield in this landscape he's he's created. Stuff like the riverbed—it's a little bit too frantic. It's a it's a car chase or kayak chase, if you want to get you know actually to the to the terminology. But it's got its hiccups. It it really does. So I'm I'm not even gonna compare it to my brightest diamond or Saint Vincent or anything like that. It's it's a different it's a different type of beast here. Conceptually, there are similarities between these three artists, but musically, this is this is in a whole different realm. Owen is a, a genius. I w- I will always use that word. He's a genius when it comes to the compositional work. He's a he's great. Doesn't even begin to describe what he can do, but it does have that some of that fallings when he gets an idea, which I think he just goes on a little bit too hard with. Um, that being said, I mean that that's like his one failing in this whole album, as he just likes an idea a little bit too much, and it's still great ideas he's coming up with. So for that, four seven five. It's right between that great and truly epic piece. I, don't, I wouldn't just, from my point of view, I just don't see it quite as a five. Um, it has everything you spoke of, but I just see a little bit of flaws mixed in with everything else.
1: Oh boy. Well, we're clearly hiking up this album here. This has got a lot of things going for it. It's tight. It's fluid. the The theme of this really makes sense, and at the same time, I kind of like that it's not really trying to tie everything together in this, you know, personal album, conveying one track to the next, um, in in building sort of the the human being who is the artist behind you. Because uh, we we've conveyed this in previous episodes. I believe that actually this was the um this was the My Brightest Diamond episode. out uh, one of our our topics concerned, um, sort of building your, your album around, around a, a theme that is, who is the artist? Who is the artist? The self-titled album and, and things like that. It, it's a little tricky, and sometimes it's a little bit tiring. I don't always want that, and I kind of appreciate that this artist did the, the good old-fashioned thing. You pick a theme, the theme is in conflict, somewhat broad, and then various tracks explore different facets of, of, that, of that concept. We got that in many places on this album and in most places the music made perfect sense he used tools at his disposal at his very uh, intuitive disposal because as John said he's a brilliant artist I think I mean a brilliant artist brilliant composer I think this guy can can put stuff together just by envisioning what a certain what a certain emotion should be and then all of a sudden he comes up with these wildly unique motives, in order to convey it, I, that's got to be promoted, like almost, almost at the forefront, because it's so common that we encounter albums that just can't do that to the same, the same effect. Instead, they use existing material to still accurately convey something. In this case, he's going a different way. He's going in, in a route which I think will will probably stick in your head. Uh, it, at least it will shock you and, um. Make you know, make you know what's out there. If this album had any flaws, they're subtle. They're really, really subtle. And I don't think it's going to be apparent on an academic, from an academic standpoint. I think it's, it, it's more apparent when you view this album over and you take certain tracks, which we've already identified individually, but I don't think it's just that. For instance, The Riverbed, I kind of shares John v, I share John's view on this and to some extent Infernal Fantasy as well, and perhaps the two uh, instrumentals, just in terms of defining their place in, in the grand scheme of things. You know, in, it, it was a chance for him to experiment a little more than he did, I think, in these particular sections, although they're still very gorgeous. Uh, some tracks, though, in this album I have to promote just for their sheer brilliance as, as five-star tracks, which really hiked this album up considerably. I think if anything suffers here, it's arc. Not theme, but arc. Theme is flawless. I think I have a problem in the overall progression of this album in terms of where he's delivering me that that spine-chilling material. It comes in spurts. It completely retracts in others. He trades out various different uh, tools, for instance, the the strings. Sometimes he'll focus on that a little more so. But I think it's just that the same, by the same token, it's just as heavy of a synth album as it is a string album. Um, As a a cinematic, you know, uh, string album. Instead, it kind of goes more toward the electronica sides in many points. Very many places, this is married. In others, it seems more like a casual trade-off between these two things. In each department, excelling, but not always yielding uh 100% one to the other as the, as this artistic vision but instead kind of bringing these two together in more in more of a heavy-handed manner. <sighs> I think this is going to be worth about 0.2 points for me. Which puts this at about a 4.8 because that that's a pretty serious gripe and I think it may it may hurt how I remember this album. That said, individual tracks on this album are solid many different individual tracks are just solid front to back they they make up for in strides what the album may may lack in its entirety from the first track to the last so i think 4.8 is pretty fair and this is a this is a pretty good jump to our discussion because we really need to have a frank discussion about how we rate in the upper echelon we've we've encountered lately and we have frustrations to that effect before we run to our discussion i just want to amend something
0: i said this is the third five i gave it's actually the fourth ah. i want to keep our numbers consistent it's the fourth five i've given but has and which fives have you given um so my brightest diamond um uh, saint vincent the futures by um
1: future islands
0: the future islands which singles. The, the singles yeah. was the, the record and now this one so those are my four fives but I mean, by our pattern alone, I've given more fives than you guys have, so it's not surprising really to anyone who's been listening a while.
1: You defined what your what your five is early on, I think, in our podcast career, which is a a just a solidly good album that people can learn from, and it does have chilling moments. And in general, I don't think you try to be terribly specific and or terribly nitpicky within that. Yeah. Espe- if if you can't, if if it's something that you um, you know. Can easily ignore right. or bypass, and I think that's a fair standpoint. <laughs> it's
2: sort of the one you want to tattoo on your heart, it, pretty much. Yeah, and, the, but but you get nitpicky the same way that Steve and I do, uh, in your things. own different way. And, and that's what that's where we'll we'll start talking about our discussion. Why why do we give four point eight over a four point seven five? Why do we give? Why do we actually go really, really specific on these decimal points? Especially in the upper echelon, this, this for us, from our point of view, tends to be extremely important because the chasm, the difference between a 3 and a 3.5 is not nearly as big as a 4.8 and a 4.9. At least in my opinion, I know that my two co-hosts mostly just share this opinion as well because something Something to, to propel something, you know, from a three to a three five range would just be, well, they're making music, but they're making really good mainstream, or they're making really safe, great ideas. But something that goes from a four nine to a four eight would be, Well, that's a very dramatic shift shift in that arc, like it was today for you, Steve. That is something that really drags it down, and that point two is a huge difference from a perfect
1: album. And a near perfect album. I see what you're saying. Say if we go from a three point two to a three point three, are we really saying something serious just happened there? You know that's why you don't often find you know any like specifics that affect there. Are, if you look back in the backlogs on our on our uh, crash chords at a glance uh, page, where I have every all of this outlined in, in an Excel document, which is, is is more for our reference purposes uh, than than the listeners. At the same point, I do encourage you know any listener who's, who's uh, been following perhaps any of my ratings, John ratings, or Matt's ratings, that they may want to organize our ratings to the, in the same way, and also uh, organize our, our total averages, just to see exactly where we line things up. And indeed, it gets very tricky. Um, there have been moments, as I said, where I would get very specific in the low realms, but this would only indicate, say, just what pushes you below a landmark like a three you know or a 3.5 or a two or pushes you just above that over that mark say the point ones or maybe the point two for good measure and things like that in general you're really talking about splitting hairs because it's just whether you make the grade whether you know it's kind of like that a minus a a plus b minus b plus deal where it's like it feels good just to have the letter you know to have made the a rather than the b plus you still feel like you're kind of behind that bar I feel like this is the the superficial ways that we sort of rate the the lower end albums that are kind of lacking on on multiple fronts, and we're just getting a little bit picky in that in on those fronts, but it's true as John said, we get extremely picky as we go toward the upper echelon here, and I'd liken it sort of to this asymptotic relationship if you if you if you took any math, and you can picture this this graph in your head of a line that gets really, really close to its axis. Incredibly close, but it never quite touches it. That's often how I view music. And it's why, to date, I've really only had one five, and that was uh, God Sticks and Visits Conundrum back in episode 51. And I cited it for multiple reasons. At the same time, I could probably write papers on that album. (laughs) That's not to say that 4.8s and 4.9s aren't, for all intents and purposes, brilliant. Um, and for many ways anything above 4.5 uh if 4 4 to 4.5 equals good then 4.5 to 5 certainly equals brilliant at the top levels there you're dealing with incredibly specific things and I'll, i'll 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 yield the floor to one of you to 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 try and convey some of those things for the moment
0: well for an example for me i've given out four fives this year Um, But something that I gave a 4.5 last year, that I really loved, but I just didn't feel hit that 5 realm, was one of our favorite to talk about bands, uh, Steam Powered Giraffe. Steam Powered Giraffe's Mark III was a 4.5 for me, and I cited a lot of reasons. But the biggest reason was, because it was vaudevillian nature, and it kind of was all over the place, it was very brilliantly handcrafted, but there was no strong emotional arc. There was a loose narrative that we've discussed, which is coming to fruition because there is a preview that the next, um, the that it did have a stinger about space, and the next album will be in space. I at, love at, that sting! Oh my god, I love that preview. We called it. <laughs> we we did call it. But that said, still, I mean, the story—it was a loose narrative. I mean, there were songs to struggle to fit into that narrative, and I think that's where it suffered for me. And emotionally too, there were songs that were just really fun to listen to that I really enjoyed. But emotionally, I didn't really get behind. The reason that an album like Singles, which sound-wise might have been inferior for some, but I still gave a five, was because I was like John said, I pretty much wanted to tattoo that album on my heart. And I think it's a, it, 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 it's, it's really a great way of putting it for the way I'm rating. But those point ones or point twos come off for me when, if you really hit an emotional void, like you have a strong emotional arc, but then there's a couple songs that are kind of void of emotion and not in a cold kind of way, but just in a, they're kind of just pop happy songs. Well, then I mean, what's the point? Like if you're creating a strong
1: arc and that reprieve doesn't serve a purpose, like, it's going to hurt you. How strong could it be if you felt the need to have filler yeah. on, on your, you know, incredibly personal release? It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's an inherent detractor.
0: It's why Beyoncé's album got a 4.5 from me last year as well. Because that's one of the most personal (laughs) albums we've reviewed. Because it's clearly about her from start to finish. But the truth is, there were some songs that were incredibly safe and there was no emotional connection. And she was making a very personal album, so
2: leaving that stuff out really hurt that record. If you wanted an idea of how we actually rate albums, episode 100 is the perfect way. we, We really go through every little tidbit. Of how we rate albums from the macro to the micro back to the macro and it's those major points that we always tend to we we tend to hone in on for when we start dealing with 0.05 of a difference because it is really important that while all your dominoes line up that your Rube Goldberg machine of an album, when you first press the button, finishes what it's supposed to be doing. And that I, that's that's really how I view it. You need theme, you need arc, you need music, you need lyrics, you need this, that, the other thing. Well, maybe one or two of these things can have faults. But when I can point out a big, a, a big song or a, a large piece where I go, that was not... Ideal well that right there that's that's point one. I mean if I can say that this part right here That wasn't ideal you should have done something differently or you could have
1: presented it a different way right there That's that's you're off the five realm, and you're starting to lose points And that's where I feel like uh, this comes back to one word justification in many ways self-justification And that's the dilemma that I heard you uh, experience just earlier Matt when you said you would in retrospect lower something else because you encountered an album that you never thought could exist did exist does exist now you are <laughs> tattooing it on your sleeve and in you see this as that that next that next paradigm shift um well technically that's the way art should work yeah. which is why in general, we try to keep these things a little bit lighthearted. Sure, I map them out just for reference purposes in the Excel document, but art is so malleable that things, you know, can grow on you uh, over a certain amount of time, and that's why not only in going back to episode 100 in order to, to preview our uh, our our system of rating, you might also want to check out our various year end reviews, where we constantly get the chance to update these these uh, these ratings based on having grown. Onto an album or grown off of it, just because you realized in retrospect that it may have been great, but at the same time, it's not. It doesn't have that lasting, uh, eternal level of chilling. For instance, it never ceases to amaze me how how composers, you know, who wrote things like say a hundred or two hundred years ago, often have have been able to sort of imprint this this uh, th- this this uh, concept in me, I suppose, this this thing that I will always go back to and that has stood the test of time, that's something no one can predict. Yeah. If I, you know, for instance, one of my favorite pieces that I've mentioned uh, recently that I think is... is Probably even well and above most of the stuff we we typically encounter. Almost definitely well and above. I'd even have to consider it next to or even above the only album I've given a five to, which is Godsticks. And that is uh, a pretty esoteric piece, although it depends on what circle you're in. Scriabin's uh, Piano Sonata Number no. 5. I think this piece, that I, I would have this tattooed on my soul if I could. But, and that was written in 1905. So all amidst 1905, I am still chilled every single time I hear almost every Section of that piece and that piece is about 10 minutes long. It's a fluid single composition and every single moment has context and is You know just chilling from one moment to the next it it encapsulates Various emotions that I didn't know existed and that's 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 I think a real talent for uh for any musician This we find in various different places in the stuff we review it's very tough for me to encounter a fluid emotion Uh, The only reason I did for instance hell uh held um, Godstick's Invisit Conundrum as a 5 is because, again, that sort of persistent use of Lydian throughout their album seemed to encapsulate another type of emotion that I never really knew existed before either.
2: Essentially, and I guess this might be the summation of what we're looking for as a 5, is you have to make a complete work that is just unfast-forwardable. Unskippable. You can't do anything but listen to it from second one to second whatever you have to end. I it think with. it's simpler than
1: that. I think it's a matter of. Impact. I think it's more complex than that actually, <laughs> and that goes to show you how uh, how how uh, interesting it gets when you get to the upper law And everyone has a different opinion. Th- yeah,
0: there's always something. I, I I think that impact is one of the most important things that plays a factor in how we review. But also, Steve makes a good point. Ultimately, we're three people reviewing an album and while we try and keep it lighthearted, we do take our ratings somewhat seriously within between ourselves, but ultimately you could think something that we think is a 5, you could think it's a 2. I mean, personal tastes and preferences can impact a lot of this stuff too. I think it's perspective, it's also place in life, it's experience it's a lot of things and i think that what we try to keep consistent is when we're varying our points and our point ones and our point fives and our 0.05s oh, oh it's based on our own perspective talent knowledge
1: and focus well i always preach for it wouldn't take into account all of those things that's why i usually try to uh preach Close objectivity in a heavily subjected world, in a heavily subjective medium. Yeah. Because, you know, the second you give up your, your objectivity and yield to things that are completely subjective, then in many ways you're also giving up your, your artistic integrity. It allows you to be blindsided to various things that come across that are insanely new and and unfamiliar, because if you're blindsided to those things and you've already set your ideas, your criteria, your limitations for what constitutes, um, in your mind, something that's great, then, you know, you're gonna be closed-minded to things that come along. And that's the thing you have to be open-minded to in music, that every day something is created that you never knew could have existed before. And a lot of it is better than what you ever would have thought could exist. Um, And that's I guess that it kind of goes back to something that I've long warned with with regards to our upper echelon rating is because we are very prone to that subjective getting whisked by the wind and uh, falling knee deep in love with an album and then just rating it, you know, highly. And we find that weeks later, months later, we may go back to it. We may not always go back to it. It may vary. It may have fallen off completely from our list, and it was more of that one-shot, awesome kind of deal. It may be uh, a little bit what you're experiencing with some of those old albums, although, again, I still would go back to many different tracks on St. Vincent's, uh, on Saint Vincent's Saint Vincent self-titled <coughs> album, but it's true. Not everyone. Not everyone. That's, that's a flaw for the, for, for the album itself. My Bride is what I really want to get back to, but uh, you can chime in. Well,
0: the, the point that I wanted to make, though, is on the flip side of you, warning about giving fives because you know then what do you do when you find something better than a five for me it's also not giving fives is just as flawed because then you're never really fully admitting to yourself possibly that something is really great because you're afraid that that other thing might be out there someday somewhere true and so you it's it's finding that balance essentially is what we're saying and that's why these these very precise point ratings exist is finding that balance within ourselves and within our rating scale.
1: True, and it, and it outlines exactly how ridiculous that this, this can sometimes get. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a quote from my, my friend Larry who once said, like, when you really stop and consider what a five scale ra- rating is, it can blow your mind. Yeah. It can really blow your mind, and you will go insane as you try to divvy up these little tiny things. We do the best we can, but that's why I always maintain that these are always subject to change. You would lower this, perhaps, as you encounter something new, just so we don't go off the charts and try to go up towards six and seven and eight. We will adjust these as time goes on, and I may even make a new column in the Excel document down the road to, uh, to um, follow along with these adjustments, so that way you know exactly how an album struck someone. At the, uh, at the front and how it grows on them later or off them because
2: after all when it boils down to it we're not doing math homework here one plus one doesn't always equal two it's yeah art is isn't a... math That's no the this big is thing. It, this is not even a term paper where you can go yes he did mention this he did mention that so minus one plus one minus one plus one you can't just always quantify some so many different aspects of music we try that's the best we can do. That's the best anybody
1: can really do about art itself. It's try to quantify and qualify it. And at times, you just can't. Ultimately, yeah, art... I, in, in that sense, no, I, I think I'm encountering many of this, it's the same thing. I don't, I don't think we, we entirely did this album justice today. I think I would need to sit with it for even a little bit longer uh, to really decide how this grows on me. I've, um, I've taken in the, 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 the texture of this album. I, I kind of want to sit with the lyrics a little more. So... There's that. I think ultimately
0: what you have to remember is we're here to provide a service of an analytical perspective. Because if you are like us and like to overanalyze and scrutinize and pick apart music, this is the podcast for you. If you're looking for a quick and easy rating system like Rolling Stone, this is not the place. Because we're not ultimately about the rating. The rating is the, the tail end, but we're about the journey. We're about... The, anal- the analyzing the record and what we come to at the end is just kind of our summation um that's why we don't offer the ratings in in the paragraphs preceding the podcast on the post you have to listen to get those, or check the spreadsheet, because that, we're we're not about just giving you those ratings. If that were the case, we wouldn't do the
1: podcast. We'd just write a, write an article, slap a, a tagline on the top, and be done. Essentially, every minute of this of this rather long weekly series is is really about the question why. Yeah, why we got that rating? Why and and in that pursuit for almost unattainable. Uh, Perfection. Uh, You were bound to find flaws and and, uh, parts that you feel, as a listener, that we we underjudged, underrated, underanalyzed, and maybe even moments that you thought we overanalyzed. I'm sure there are many of those. So, you know, help us along. Help us along and comment. We encourage that, I think, foremost. I think that's, that's what will really keep
0: us going, is the, the suggestions, the comments, the questions, because we are not infallible, though John likes to think he is sometimes. I'm mostly infallible. Um, we, we, we are not perfect beings, and if you feel like we did something incredible disjustice, tell us. I mean, Elon, best known as Future Money from the Wall Street players, who are long overdue to be guests again. for having been guests on episode 2 and 29 was incredibly furious with us that we rated Queens of the Stone Age so low because he knew stuff about the album we didn't that influenced his perspective of the record. Since then, I had adjusted mine a bit, and we had talked about it, but... And me and John were stubborn and didn't. <laughs> but this is this is part of it, and I think that's why we also try and use these points is to kind of give
1: that leeway. Which brings it to another point, which is, of course, uh, the introduction of new music. Again, we like to share stuff through this at the same time it's been proven... We, we, we love getting uh, music shared to us. In that respect, thank you very much, uh, Heather, uh, who recommended this album today by Owen Paulette. Uh, after having listened to that episode on, on on My Brightest Diamond, episode 111, I guess she was on board the Crash Course train. So here today, I, th- I hope that we have done this uh, semi-justice, and I will certainly be listening to this album uh, more to see if there's any more to get out of it. And I'm, I'm sure there is and of course Heather
0: please feel free to tweet at us or comment on the post and let us know what you thought and where you would rate it because I'd be oh I'm always curious where a fan who re- recommends an album where they might find it in the scope I would
2: love to see a point by point just just arguing with everything that that, that, that we found wrong with it if, if, if you should if if so, feel feel so that strongly. way especially because while I I would just love to see the differences I think that might be piss off at one or two of the other people who work with me on this podcast just a little bit and i like i like seeing them get frustrated a little bit here and there right anyway in summation
0: thank you heather um we look forward to hearing what you thought um and give me a new one i I want another one
1: yeah no keep keep
0: them them coming um at this point i think it's it's safe for us to um Bring the podcast to a close before we get into what we're going to do next week. Steve, do you have a spam mail for us? Spam? This is also why we want comments, because I want
1: Steve to no longer have to read spam every week. And actually read mail, you know. Actual nice, messages. Nice mail. Yeah. yeah. That's homework, Heather. <sighs> All the time, I used to read smaller content, which as well clear their motive, and that is also happening with this piece of writing, which I am reading here. By Aphrodisiac Liqueur.
2: So, John, what's the album that you're bringing on next week?
1: <laughs> <laughs> not even a mention. Well, nope, no, it makes sense that it. that
2: came out of aphrodisiac liqueur. Yeah. Next week, uh, we're going across the pond to an English band called Alt-J and their album, This Is All Yours. This was uh, released back in September. An indie pop electronica, which, honestly, I did a little bit of research on this one, doesn't doesn't even begin to really do it justice. Uh, I I think this will be interesting. Maybe not the best of the year, but definitely an interesting album for us. All right. Well, I, I look
0: forward to that. Um, one more time, I, I really path. want to thank Heather S. for listening and for the kind words about our show. Um, we do appreciate it. We ultimately do it for you guys, those out there listening. So thank you for continuing to listen. Um, if you want to check Heather out and the stuff she's into, um, she does tweet a lot about music and, and the arts, um, her Twitter handle is at WildflowerFever. We are, of course, at Crash Chords Web, both C's and the W capitalized. Um, <laughs> Any more uh, footnotes to that? <laughs> uh, there n- might be an annotation or two. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll send you some stuff in an email. Cool. But on that note, remember, as always, music is life and, and life, life is, is good. good.